series, Uncharted Waters, we're talking about Noah. So you would turn your Bible Steve, to Genesis chapter 7 and 8. And we're going to walk through quite a bit of scripture today. In those two chapters, we're going to uh, look at quite a few parts of that story this morning. Because this really is such an incredible story, isn't it? And, and the more I've studied Noah, the more I've got to know Noah, uh, you know, me and Noah are buddies now. No, the more I've got to know Noah and, and his story, the more I like what he's, he's done. And, and just there's so many cool things that you can, you can understand about who he is and, and what he did. But before we get into the story today, uh, Genesis is really a very valuable book, isn't it? And it's under attack in a lot of ways in our culture. Uh, and that make, makes sense because so much of our faith is based on what we find in the book of Genesis. There's a lot of things that, that get it start, because Genesis means start, and so there's a lot of things that get it start in Genesis that we now hold, hold dear. And so uh, a lot of people think that the book of Genesis is fables, or it's just ideas or, or stories, but not real life stuff. And I want to say that's not true, that the book of Genesis happened. And what's so cool about Genesis is there's so many cool things in here that even nowadays we see, we see in, in, in science that proves that it's true. And, and one of those things is, that Genesis has a lot of great dad jokes. And so one of those good dad jokes, as you can tell, is why did Noah, or where did Noah keep the bees? In the archives. <laughs> That's a good one. Now, where, what kind of lights, I have to laugh myself because no one else laughs my jokes, but what kind of lights did Noah have in the boat? Floodlights. Boom, chaboom, ching. Now, and, and then the last one, what was the, who was the richest person in the Bible? Well, Noah, of course, we're talking about him, right? Noah, because he floated his stock while the world was in liquidation. But um, ching, yeah, there we go. But uh, no, my girls would say, Dad, those are terrible jokes. Such a, you know, but uh, those are dad jokes. I would say, well, yeah, I'm a dad, so it makes sense. But, but more seriously, though, the, the book of Genesis is valuable and is important. Earlier this year, the LA Times came out with an article, and this is the headline of the article. No, no joke. If this is a headline, it says, Dinosaur Killing Asteroid that triggered massive magma releases beneath the ocean. That was the entire headline. So Dateline, uh, many, many years ago, uh, this, this story comes from that. And there seems to be a, an understanding in the scientific community of some things that happened many years ago. This story talks about what happened uh, between 65 million years B.C. and 250 million years B.C., which means a long time, right, like many years ago, that speaks and shows about a catastrophic occurrence that happened that just caused there to be widespread damage. And the picture of this, this situation I have behind you, this is a picture that an artist drew of, the, um, of what happened. They believe it, and, and, a, and a giant asteroid hit the earth Probably someplace in the, um, the, the Mexican or the, uh, the, 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 what do you call it, the Caribbean Ocean or the Caribbean Sea, whatever. Well, I'm all messed up. So it hit there someplace and it, there's this giant crater there and, and that's what happens. The problem is, is there's really no, there's really no evidence that that actually happened that way. That there's, there's no, um, there's no rock down below the surface. There's no evidence that this happened. So this is just speculation. But what's not speculation, that something significant happens. It is actually, there's a smoking gun in the fossil record that shows us and proves to us that, that at some point in history, that there was this massive thing that caused, again, widespread damage. There was volcanic activity. 
We know that there was a shifting of of the, the tectonic plates on the earth. There would have been this mass extinction of animals. And and it would have happened in a very short period of time. And so again, fossil records show this. They show it that there's fossils that are up high and there's fossils down below. There's fossils high on mountains. There's fossils down in valleys and in dry places. There's, they're, they're all over the place. There's, there's, there's water fossils in deserts. There's, there's dry fossils in wet places. I mean, it's just a big, huge mess on the planet. And, and this is what it shows. There would have been shifts in the climate. There would have been a reorganization of the topography of the earth. And it kind of all happened in a very short period of time. Now, these are not Christian scientists who, who believe this, who teach this. These are secular scientists that know something happened at some point in history. Now, now what's fascinating about this is that Genesis gives this perspective. Listen, to, see if this figures some things out. Genesis chapter 7, verse 11 It says, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. What I love about this passage is the detail that it gives, right? You don't tell a fable and say, this happened in the 600th year of the seventh month of this day. You just don't do that, do you? See, that's because this is not a fable. This is what happens. And what's fascinating here is this gives an explanation of potentially of what could have happened. Because the Bible teaches us that there was this water thing that came around the earth, a canopy, if you will, that surrounded the planet. And it's very likely and possible that as this passage here describes that these, these, that these volcanoes erupted from underneath the, the, the surface of, of the water and shot up lava and, of course, water, because that would be water. It shot this up and it burst and it hit this, this water uh, table around the earth and caused that to burst and then that's where flooding happens. Again, we know that there are fossils at tops of mountains. There is literally no feasible way for that to happen. There is no way, even in the course of, of a great asteroid hitting the planet or whatever, there's not enough water in the planet for that to occur at this stage of the game. It's not possible. Scientists know that it's not possible, but with God, this is possible. Again, you can imagine if there's this big ring of water around the earth, and this all of a sudden now floods the earth, well, all of a sudden what was impossible before can seem pretty possible. This account's pretty straightforward. We'll go through it today, and then we're going to make some applications today. Verse 1 of chapter 7, The Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me, in this generation. So God speaks to Noah, and then down to verse 4. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights. And every living thing that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did um, all that the Lord had commanded him to do. Verse 17. The flood continued 40 days above the earth, or on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of these waters. And the waters prevailed so that mightily that the earth and all that the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed high above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. 
So what happens again here is this box that's floating, which of course we talked about this last week, but this is not just a pie-in-the-sky idea that there actually is science that proves that all of the animals that God said were on the ark could have very potentially been in the ark. The ark had the cubic feet to handle all of this almost times two. And so there's plenty of space on the ark. So here this giant box is floating along like a bobber, 22 feet higher than the tallest peak. Again, detail that shows us that this is no ordinary occurrence. Detail that shows us that explains why scientists find water uh, boring uh, uh, fossils on tops of high mountains. Uh, Again, no possible way that happens except by this account. And it continues in verse 21. And all flesh died that, that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, and swarming creatures that swarm the earth and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was a breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. Now, some people say this is exactly why I don't serve a God that is the God of the, of the Old Testament. You even have people nowadays that will say things like that. They'll say, well, the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, those are different people, or they're just different. God doesn't deal with people the same way, but I will tell you that that is not true because this is the same God of the Old Testament that deals in the New Testament. But people will say that, and they'll say, well, God, this, God isn't, you know, God's not good, or if he, this is the same God, then, well, man, that's, that God is bloodthirsty, he's angry, he's bitter, he's full of vitriol, and I don't want to serve a God like that. People will say those kind of things. They'll say, well, you know, the Genesis account proves why I don't serve God. But I will tell you this this morning. God is not cruel. He's not bloodthirsty. He's not even angry. He is just. Because we find the earth at this point in time is, is exceedingly evil, as the word says. It is exceedingly bad. So God is not angry. He's not evil. But he is just. And God will just sin accordingly. And throughout history, God has been proving and showing and speaking and saying that, that the time will come when there will, be a, there will be a judgment on the earth. And this is shown to us here in this passage. It's not bad news. It's not awful stuff. It's God's way of warning the world. Sin will always bring about judgment, but he has provided a way out through Jesus. He provided a way out through the ark, and people didn't listen. He's provided a way out through Jesus. He is a faithful he is a gracious God who doesn't have to do that, but yet he does. Now, that was for free this morning. I couldn't bear to not say that today, but verse 8, or chapter 8, verse 1, but God remembers. Everyone say remembered, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. There's a memory burned on my memory from a, from a, as a child, and, and that was growing up in the country uh, we had every spring, we had a certain smell that would waft through the air behind my mom and dad's house, which smelled a lot like poo, you know? And, and so we, we lived in the country. There was farms and there was barns behind us. And so at muck out time, you would smell that. You knew it was happening. 
And it smelled terrible. And so this would happen again in every place. And I remember one time when I was bringing Lisa, who was a city girl, I was bringing her home to meet my parents. It was not long after, or not long before we actually had gotten uh, engaged. And so we're home one time, and, and it was that time of the year, and the smell was just especially pungent. And my wife says, what is that smell? It stinks. And I said, well, that smells like home, you know. And, and she didn't think that was such a, a good idea, but she's now changed her mind on that a little bit. But, but, but it, was, it was stinky, right? It's stinky. If you've been in a barn before with animals, it stinks. It doesn't smell good. So here's poor Noah and his family who have been living on this big giant box bobbing along on the top of the water for all of these days with all of these animals and all these problems, all this stuff, and there they sit and life stinks. Life stinks for Noah in that, in that moment. You see, here's, here's the deal this morning because I think we can relate to this better than we think that we can. You see, Noah is, is in this spot. He's, he's wondering, is God working in my life at this time? Don't forget that God has spoken to Noah not long before this. He said, Noah, get on the boat. And then for 378 days, God says nothing. God says nothing from the time that Noah got in the boat until the future time. Here he sits. Here he stays. Here he is in this boat, a stinky mess. And he says, where is God at in this time? Well, no one says that. He doesn't, I don't know say he says that, but I might say that. Noah doesn't. And see, he looks at his life. He looks at what's going on. Is God at work here? But we're going to discover here that God is, truthfully, God is working in incredible ways right below Noah, and he doesn't even know what's going on. Let's continue. Verse 2, it says, The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the, earth, the heavens was restrained, and the wind, waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And the seventh month, and the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Again, detail. It's incredible. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. And the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. Now, I've, I've skipped all kinds of texts, as you can see. All this text is detail, 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 detail. It shows us what God is working and doing in this point. And then you come to verse 6, and it says, At the end of 40 days, Noah opens the window of the ark. Noah's been in this ark for a long time. There's animals, there's elephants, there's giraffes, there's all kinds of stuff. And I can see him saying, Thank God it finally is over. And he opens the doors. He's like, fresh air. Yes. You know, he's, you know he needs that air, and it comes in there, and he's, he's like, man, it's finally over. And he looks out, and all he sees is water, as far as the eye can see. Now, again, if I'm knowing this plan, I'm singing, this is not funny, God. Like, this is not cool, okay? I, it stinks in this place, and here all I see is water. And so Noah sends out some test birds, as we know, and he sends one out, and it comes back to him, and so he deducts that there's no land, sends another one out, and another, and he continues to do this, and he finds that there is nothing that he can do but wait in this spot, in this place. Here he is, stuck in the mess, and he's got to wait. You see, Noah must wait as things are being reorganized underneath him. Some of you in this point in your life, that's exactly where you are right now as well. You are in a spot where God is reorganizing things underneath you, and you can't see what's happening. 
You look out the windows, or you look out the stuff, and all you see is water. All you see is just stuff. You don't see anything, but you don't know what God's doing under the surface. And see, Noah's in the same, same spot. He has no idea what God's doing under the surface of the water. But be assured, God is doing something. God is working in this spot. And he, he can look at this and say, man, this stinks. Literally, it stinks. You can, he can relate to you in those situations. It, it stinks. But truthfully, we have no record of Noah complaining. We have no record of Noah saying anything of whining or second-guessing or whatever else. We don't have any of those things. And that's kind of what I love about Noah, is that Noah was this guy that just sat there and just did faithfully what God told him to do. And Noah does something that it is so hard for us to do, and that is Noah waited. You know, when I'm in a tough spot in life, when things are being reorganized underneath me and I look out windows and all I see is water and I don't know what God's doing, I have a tendency to want to complain or I have a tendency to want to get antsy. I'm a type A, loud, busy person. I, I, I have a hard time staying still. Yesterday, someone said, Pastor Steve, wanting to sit still. And I said, well, I haven't since I was two, so I probably won't continue in that way. And so it's just hard to sit still sometimes. I get this. It's tough. And you might be in that place, too, where you're like, I don't know what to do. I, I can't sit. I can't wait. So we oftentimes start complaining. We start bickering or we start whining or saying, God, why do you do this? And see, we kind of have this thing where we say, well, God is, God is good and, and God's gracious. And, and he certainly is uh, his, those things. He, God's gracious. He understands when I'm walking in difficulty. But here's the deal this morning is I think sometimes we speak things and we say things from our mouths in moments of difficulty and frustration. We speak things into existence that God never intended for us to do. We complain. We bicker. We argue. It reveals and shows what our heart really truly is. Noah was blessable because Noah just waited. Noah just waited. He waited on God. And there's a principle here for us to glean from. You see, be careful not to jump the gun and short-circuit what God's doing in you because you have acted ahead of his voice. Noah waits. Noah's listening. See, Noah, the last time he heard God speak was to get into the ark, and the next time, 378 days later, God says these words in verse 14. He says, In the second month, or on the 27th day of the month, and the earth had dried out, then God said to Noah, after 378 days, get out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. This is a big question you got to think about. And I've been thinking about this a lot as I prepare this week. Are you willing to wait 378 days to hear from God? Noah had to wait that long. You see, when we, and we think of the moment that it took when Noah got off the ark. I, I don't know about you, but I grew up in Sunday school, so I grew up thinking about this moment like the old uh, um, the flannel graphs we had when we were kids. And you, we don't have those anymore, but back when I was a kid, we did. And 
And I could still see the teachers putting these on the, on the, the, the walls, and there was, you know, there was always a rainbow, and there was always all kinds of happy, shiny people that were super happy to be out of the ark, you know, what makes sense. There was, there, was, there was beautiful, lush green grass. There was, you know, green trees. It was beautiful. There was mountains off in the future, off in the distance. There was palm trees. It was just this gorgeous scene, right? Like these animals with big smiles on their faces, and everyone's just, you know, woo, dancing along, just smiling. We're off the ark. But I will assure you that's not based on reality. And we know that's not because of what the detail here gives us. This was not a beautiful, lush, wonderful land that they got off and everyone was happy and smiley. This was a tough moment. Because as they get off this ark, the world that they had once known was literally completely and 100% rearranged underneath them. God was doing that as they were up high. Now that they're down low and they see and it's different and they have no frame of reference for understanding what they are seeing. What they once saw as being mountains, which were smaller, small hills, were now large rock cliffs. God had cut valleys. I believe that God had also at this time rearranged the topography of the planet and things were shifted and different. To this point on history, the world again, because of the, the water table, would have been temperate. That's gone. And now there's cold and there is hot and there is storms and there's all kinds of things happening. And then we find that these people land on the top of Mount Ararat. Now, if you've been on top of a mountain before, you know that's not a plush, wonderful place, right? I've been to the top of a mountain. I've been to the top of Pikes Peak in Colorado Springs. And you can drive up there. So I have climbed a 14,000-foot pike or peak. I'm, I'm the man. No. It's pretty rough. All he's known is behind him, and now all he sees for the rest of his future is something totally different than what he's seen in the past. And then I love what he does here in verse 20, because this reveals so deeply the kind of person Noah was. Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every, everyone say every, every clean animal and some of what? Every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Noah worships God lavishly. Well, you're like, well, of course he did, because, I mean, he's off the ark. I mean, I would too, right? I'd be like, woo, dancing, shouting, singing. I mean, that makes sense. He's off the ark right now. But, but look at what the detail this passage here gives us. See, Noah didn't just worship God. Noah worshiped God lavishly. And think about what happens here, because Noah takes animals that he has taken great care of for the last year to raise and to take care of because these are his food, right? Like he doesn't have Aldi or he doesn't have Walmart or Target or whatever else. He didn't have those things because, so this is their livelihood and not just for him, but his children and his grandchildren and their children and their children and their children. Noah understands the gravity of this situation. Noah knows that these are food animals and there are no grocery stores. There are no stores. This is it, man. This is a chicken, turkey, steak, whatever. This is all. And the Bible says he takes that and he sacrifices that to God. That is incredible. He finds himself in a place that he has no frame of reference or no understanding. And his first reaction is to give to God lavishly a season of worship. See, we glean some things from this powerful story. The first one is in the midst of long days, 
God can be trusted. Now, I don't know what your long day is or, or was, but I know you can't give up because he, he knows where you are. Again, that, that detail is found in this passage where he looks, where God looks at Noah and looks at the ark and says he remembers them. The same God who worked in that situation, the same God we serve nowadays, Noah remembers. He knows where you are. God didn't change when Noah got the call to build the ark. God didn't change when Noah had warned the people to turn, and they didn't, and he did it all by himself. God didn't change when Noah built the ark. God didn't change when Noah heard his voice to go into the ark. God didn't change in that terrible year when they sat on that ark, and it stunk. Life stunk. He didn't change in those times. And God didn't change when Noah heard his voice. Finally, God said, it's now time. He hadn't changed in any of those moments. So if God hasn't changed, don't you change. You have to understand that in the midst of long days, God can be trusted, periods, giants, period, on the end of that passage, or that's, of that idea. God can be trusted. I don't know about you, but I've had some long days. Even recently, I've had some long days. It doesn't matter what's going on those days. God can be trusted, periods. And there is a big deal truth to that passage and that understanding of what that says right there about who God is and our walks with him. It doesn't matter what happens around us. And he can be trusted, periods. Stories like this are in the Bible not to, not to make us angry or make us feel bad or whatever else. They're to show us how God works and how God deals in a sinful world to sinful people. God works like this. Church, in the midst of long days, he can be trusted. But it's hard sometimes to see that without the next part because a life of lavish worship opens our eyes to that truth. Again, Noah steps off the boat. And you can imagine as he walks off this boat, you think, what is this? What am I looking at? How am I going to build a house here? How, am I, how are these animals going to live? How, I mean, I, you know, he could have had all kinds of questions. He doesn't do that. Now, I'm sure he had questions, and it's okay to have questions. But his very first thing is not to ask those. His very first thing is to build an altar to the Lord and say, and give the best of the best back to God and say, Lord, I worship you no matter what. See, he does this with all of his life and all of his heart. It's pretty incredible. In church, worshiping God has to be my go-to. No matter what situation I'm in, worshiping has to be my go-to, periods, right? It has to be in that, in that spot. And here's the deal. You can, you, can, you can hit things, and you can walk against things, and you can hit life, and you can do this all you want and hit difficult spots and not worship. But what worship does is it opens my eyes to that truth. But the problem is you can still do those things, and you can still, but you'll have your blinders on. And I will tell you, you can still see life. You can still see something when your eyes are covered. You can still see things. The problem is you don't see God and who he is. You see your situation. You see the difficulty. You see how hard this seems to be. You see how difficult of situation I have to go through. You see all the things. And you see an awful short distance ahead of you because worship opens your eyes to the truth of who God is. You will still see when you don't worship, but you will see darkness. And I will tell you, a lot of people live their lives 
looking only at darkness because they had not learned how to worship Jesus as their go-to thing. Noah understands this. And he doesn't just worship. He worships lavishly. He gives lavishly. He gives of the best. He gives the first. He gives the most. He gives it all because he knew who his God was. That though he gave it all away, God was somehow able to continue to work and sustain. If God had called him to the ark, if God had called him to walk through those stinky days, if God had called him out of the ark, then God was certainly going to provide for him for the rest of days. Man, how hard is that for us sometimes? When life gets hard, when things happen, all we see is right, right in front of us, worship opens our eyes to that truth. And the third point this morning as the band comes forward, is that days of God's grace are coming. Come on now. Days of God's grace are coming. Again this morning, I want to remind you that in the midst of long days, God can be trusted. And the next part is we can understand that when we open our eyes to the truth. What's the truth? The truth is this. It is simple. Days of God's grace are coming. And you have to understand and see that. That no matter what you're in, no matter what spot you're in, Noah shows us that days of grace are coming. Let's look today at Psalm chapter 63, verses 1 through 4. It's this, this will be a title in your Bible. It says it's a psalm of David in the wilderness of Judah. Now when you see those words wilderness in that passage there, that's not wilderness like if you're in your, your hunting blind and you're loving your life and you're loving your coffee in the morning and you're just enjoying the time, just you and the bucks and you're trying to get some beer and, and you, just, you love this. That's not that kind of wilderness. It's not the wilderness like if you took a nice long walk with your friends or your family and there's leaves falling, it's beautiful. That's not what we're talking about here. You see, wilderness in the Old Testament carries with it an understanding and a connotation that wilderness before the days of Aldi and Target and Walmart is you had to grow your foods, right? You had to, your, your life was sustained by what was in the ground. And wilderness suggests and wilderness shows that this is a place of struggle. This is a place of, of remote. This is a place that is less than fruitful. It's a difficult spot, kind of like on top of a mountain. And this is what David says in this passage. He says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh, it faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. And I will add, in the place of a wilderness. See, no one knew God. We're told that. As we look at the rest of the story, Noah was blessed by God immeasurably. Noah trusted him. He believed him. We know that. How on earth could Noah get through those kind of moments? Well, Noah knew God's grace in a deadly place. Would you stand across this room this morning? God's grace in a deadly place. Time and time and time again, we are reminded in the Bible that God's grace is good in the high times and God's grace is good in the low times. We are reminded that there come mountain, come valley, come struggle, come, come, come victory, come whatever. 
That God's grace is the same, whether it is high or it is low, God's grace is the same. Can I get an amen this morning in this place? Let's lift our heads, let's lift our voices this morning, let's lift our hands today, Lord, to Jesus. Hallelujah. Would you close your eyes this morning? You might be here in a place today and you need to be reminded of some of these things this morning. I don't know your full story today. I don't know your whole thing to this morning. But I know mine, and I know some of your stories, and I know that this is a struggle for us. I thank God for the truth of the words and the example of Noah and the example of how he showed us how to walk and how to live. Jesus, I pray this morning, God, you would just minister and work. If you're here today, and you might be walking through a difficult time, maybe you're walking through, in your life right now, it just stinks. That's what it is. You're like, man, this stinks. And I haven't heard from God in 375 days. But you know what? There's three more days yet. I haven't heard from God in 376 days or whatever it might be. Are you willing to wait for 378 days to hear from God? Again, the operative idea this morning there is, are you willing to wait on him? To not act out in foolishness and short-circuit what he wants to do, but you're willing to wait as he reorganizes things underneath you. That's, that's for someone here this morning. You have to learn how to wait. And you get this not by trying harder. You get this by worshiping him this morning. We're going to worship him as we close this morning. And I want to open this altar today. No, no prayer partners yet. This, this altar time is open. If you want to come and just want to spend time in God's presence to join me here. I'm going to be here this morning as well. And I just want to close this time out today by doing what God's called us to in this word, and that is to worship him because that opens our eyes to the truth this morning. Jesus, open our eyes to that truth this morning. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.